0: Coming up on this episode, we continue our look at the All-American Boys series with authors El Keaton, Shane K. Morton, and Misky Harris. Welcome to
1: episode 371 of the Big Gay Fiction Podcast, the show for avid readers and passionate fans of gay romance fiction. I'm Will, and with me, as always, is my co-host and husband, Jeff. Hello, Rainbow Romance Reader. It is so great to have you back for another episode of the show. So in case you haven't heard, Jeff and I started a little something called the Rainbow Romance Reader Report. It is the new official newsletter of the show. When you sign up, you'll get updates about what Jeff and I have been up to, like what we've been reading. We're also going to give you the latest news about new releases and upcoming titles, as well as a peek at what's coming up on the show. And for everyone that does sign up, You'll get a free collection of reviews and recommendations of books for readers of our genre. Contemporary, historical, even holiday stories. We got suggestions, a whole lot of them. If you'd like to sign up for the Rainbow Romance Reader Report, all you have to do is go to biggayfictionpodcast.com/slash
0: report. So in our last episode, we talked with author Casey Cassidy, who also writes as Sierra Hill, and it's as Sierra Hill that the All American Boys series was created. There's been a couple of releases of that series that are male female focused. And for this latest series, Sierra decided to create an all gay romance series. So we've got nine new books that are out there, all set in Stony Brook, Maine with a tall ship festival to attend. And it's been really fun this week spotlighting these books. Yeah. The summer festival serves as a wonderful backdrop for each of these stories. And I don't think you could have picked a festival that I would enjoy more than the tall ship festival because even when we were in New York, I remember there was one spring or summer or something where a whole bunch of tall ships moved down the Hudson River and I was absolutely enamored by the whole thing. So I would like to go to this festival, (laughs) if nothing else, and and meet all these people that are in these
1: books. So in addition to Casey Cassidy's book, Pretty Boy, we've also got Green-Eyed Boy by B.L. Maxwell. In this one, after driving cross-country, food festival enthusiast Billy may have found his perfect match in Lance, a lobster
0: roll food truck operator. What festival doesn't need food trucks? I mean, that's kind of a wonderful choice to have along for the ride is to bring some foodies together because you got to have good food. And of course, in Maine, (laughs) so many of these books have some aspect of lobster in them because, of course, it's Maine. So, yeah,
1: that's a good one. Also on deck as part of the series is Sailor Boy by Chris Jason. Single dad Kendall wants to share the fun of boating with his young daughter at the Tall Ships Festival. To that, add Jeremy, a handsome sailor, and it just might be the perfect summer for
0: all of them. Hmm. Single dad, boats. And I love Chris's writing, so this one's very near the top of my TBR right now. In David Michael's Boy on the
1: Horizon, Collegiate Jacob is bartending for the summer, when he encounters handsome travel blogger William, a guy who just might knock his carefully charted plans off
0: course. Again, such a nice way to integrate your setting and the festival, because of course a travel blogger is gonna come cover the fest. And how many you know college kids go to places like Stony Brook to get their summer jobs. It's such a perfect combination.
1: Next up is Devon's Boys by Layla Doreen. Devon is a mildly washed up musician, who's called upon by Moon to help his fellow bandmate, Michael, get over his stage fright. And it's Devon's unorthodox methods that just
0: might lead to a happy ending for all of them. I love that Layla was able to essentially make a rock star type of romance dealing with musicians at this festival in this town. I kind of want to read that because I feel like I'm having a renaissance of musicians now, thanks to Ariel and <laughs> So I just kind of put this in as another musician book to read.
1: Summer Boy by T.L. Travis is about hometown guy Jonas, whose life revolves around working at his family's restaurant. And his stable humdrum day-to-day is shaken up by vacationing college party boy Micah.
0: There had to be at least one book that featured a local having their whole world shook up because of some college party guys show up. That one, I think, will be some interesting push and pull between the small town life and the big college party life. And they're just
1: going to come together in a very fiery way. And in case you missed our discussion last week with Casey Cassidy, her title, Pretty Boy, is about a world-traveling male model named Finn who returns home to prove something to his dad and ends up finding love with Lobster Man
0: Mason. Another good look at the people who live there locally finding love in their town during the Tall Ship Festival. Now, of course, we mentioned there are nine books in this series, so there are still three to talk about, and these we're going to hear directly from the authors about. Shane K. Morton is going to talk to us about The Boy is Mine. Misky Harris is going to give us all the details on Boy Overboard. And El Keaton's going to tell us about Not a Boy. We'll not only hear about their books, we're going to hear how they approach writing in this world. We'll also talk to them about their other recent releases and what's coming up next for them.
2: I am Shane K. Morton. I write MM Romance, some LGBTYA, Gay Cozy Mystery. And then under my dark pin name as Sean Esensalt, characters you love to hate. <laughs> Who love to hate. <laughs> That's a brand tag right there.
0: <laughs> I should use that. Tell us a little bit about your entry in the All-American Boy series with The Boy Is Mine.
2: The Boy Is Mine is my eighties fantasia of bringing kind of that, that young 80s movie, like Can't Buy Me Love and that kind of stuff into kind of what that might be in today's world. It starts off with a man who's just getting ready to go into his senior year of college, who comes back to his small town of Stony Brook, Maine for the summer. And he hasn't returned since he graduated because the town really holds a lot of past kind of ill will and trauma in his brain. He wasn't well liked in high school and was teased and kind of bullied a lot. And of course, the person that bullied him the most was the person that he had his first crush on. So it's kind of what happens when these two characters meet, you know, six years later, and how they kind of overcome the past while forming some kind of relationship in the now. But you know, the past always creeps back in. And It's not dark. That makes it sound much darker than it is. Uh, It's actually very light, very sweet, very fun. I mean, all of the books take place during the Tall Ship Festival that Maine has. And for me, it's like, I'm from a really small town in Kentucky. And tomorrow is actually kind of our big event, like the Tall Ship Festival for Maine. And it was called Tater Day honestly not sure why it's called Tater Day. It had something to do with potatoes in the 1920s and 30s. That's uh, all I really remember. But there's a parade and, you know, all of this kind of stuff around it. So I kind of drew from my experiences of being in a small town and having that kind of festival and bringing that into the Tall Ship Festival. There's something about
0: small towns and festivals that are for me as a reader I'm like, oh, small town and festival. I love it. Right. <laughs> what do you think it is about those two things that work so well in romance?
2: Well, I think it's it's like a blanket that you pull over yourself, you know, like we all have anyone from a small town has some kind of small town experience like that. Every small, well not every small town, but most small towns have some kind of event that brings the town together in some way, 4th of July, the firework celebration, or some strange thing like Tater Day or the tall ship parade. And I mean, Hallmark has made an entire genre out of the small town event gathering, you know, so it's comfortable. It's something that we can understand and kind of embrace, I think.
0: And then you bring in the whole 80s sort of nostalgia thing and updating the 80s to now. How did you pluck out the various bits of the 80s to kind of spin those for Devin and Owen?
2: 80s movies always had, you know, I mean, you look at one 80s movie, you look at five 80s movies, and there is something so similar about the way that they were constructed, right? And I'm a child of the 80s. So for some reason, when I... I started writing this book, I just kept going back to things like Can't Buy Me Love and little bits and pieces of things like The Breakfast Club and Sixteen Candle, just, you know, little, little things that just kind of rang true to me for the story. Can't Buy Me Love was actually, I think, the one that kind of hit me the hardest when I started writing this, because I wanted there to be some kind of bet that set the two characters at odds, almost, you know, one unbeknownst that this was happening and the other one regretting the decision fairly quickly, but caught in it and unable to escape it. And how that was going to kind of bring back the past for these two characters, because fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me, right? So Mm -hmm. there's just some kind of, the dialogue in 80s movies, the banter is always so much fun. And I love writing good banter. So I just kind of let my inner 80s child flow. While I was writing this, I watched a few movies to kind of get me back into it, which is never a problem. I love watching those (laughs) 80s, you know, 80s teen comedies are still my jam. So I went back, watched a few of those, and then just let these characters go and kind of just start talking to me. And thankfully, they talked a lot. (laughs) (laughs) The banter in the book, I must say, I'm very happy with it. So, it's lots of fun. My characters both have a very quick wit, and they use it a lot, so.
0: What was your favorite scene to write
2: in The Boy Is Mine? There's the scene where Owen picks up Devin for a date. It's their second date. And Devin starts letting his guard down. And uh, it was really the banter scene as they drove on their way to the date, that probably made me giggle the most while I was writing it. Because I, I just thought it was so funny from both characters' perspectives, trying to keep up with each other and then one-up each other as they, as they went along. That's, that was probably my favorite scene. My second favorite scene, I don't want to give anything away, but it takes place on a softball field. A lot of 80s movies have that grand gesture, right? And The Boy Is Mine also has a couple different grand gestures that work on various levels, of course, or don't work on various levels. And I will say that there is a grand gesture on a softball field that has also some very great banter in it as the two characters try to figure out how to move past or if they're going to be able to move past what has happened. So that was also a lot of fun to write.
0: Very cool. Grand gestures, always one of my favorite parts of the book, just to see oh, what's yeah. going to be the grand thing that needs to happen to, you know, make the people come together.
2: And, yeah. lock and I love when they ATA. don't work. Like I love to kind of turn that and make the grand gesture almost be the worst thing that you could have done sometimes. You know, like I, it, That just drives up her, my
0: angst level when that
2: happens. <laughs> it's a little angsty, but it's not very angsty. I promise. Just a little bit of angst that creeps in. What excited you about being
0: part of the All American Boy series?
2: When they asked, well, I love the title, I love the name of the series. It, it, I feel like that a lot of my romance books, I am writing about the All American Boy to begin with, because that's my experience, right? So to when they asked me if I wanted to be a part of it, I I went back and looked and I thought the covers looked lovely and I loved the concept and the idea of this small town in Maine, a place I had never written about, but had enjoyed a couple of different summers there. And then the Tall Ships Festival just, I don't know, it just sounded so beautiful. And this kind of large event that when you live in a small town, those kind of large events take over everything. Right. So I just thought it sounded like a really fun project and I didn't really realize what I was going to write for a while. I was busy with my cozy mysteries and getting those out. And and then when I finally sat down and started really thinking about what it was I wanted to write for this, all these characters just kind of popped out of nowhere. And I felt like they fit really well in the concept of that all American boy.
0: It's really great when the characters just go, here we are.
2: Yeah. And there's some other great authors that are a part of it. So, very happy to be asked.
0: Yeah, the lineup is pretty stellar. Yeah. <laughs> and it sounds like, you know, working with the small town and working with the Tall Ship Festival, I mean, that kind of played right into everything for you, being able to utilize those elements too.
2: Yeah. I've written a couple books that take place in larger cities. Mainly, those have been Sean Asensol books, but Shane Morton writes mainly, which is myself. writes mainly small town books, actually. I mean, pretty much every one of my series takes place in some kind of small town. Even though I've lived in large cities most of my life now, for some reason, I always want to go back and write about those small town experiences that I've had. Maybe I should go to therapy and figure out why. (laughs) But that is what I'm kind of drawn to. So it felt like a natural fit.
0: We should talk about also, you've had a couple other releases this spring. There's A Summer Called Desire, which is the third book in your Bluegrass Boys series.
2: Tell us a little bit about that series and this new installment that you've got. So I'm from Kentucky, which is the Bluegrass State. So they're not autobiographical in any way, right? But I write what I know and what I have had some, I mean, Every character I write has some form of me in it. it just is my process and the way that I function as a writer. There is always a part of me in at least the main character of, of the books. And I started thinking about my college experiences in a small Kentucky, fairly liberal town, fairly not liberal town, but you know, for Kentucky at the time in the eighties, it was a fairly liberal town. And I started thinking about those experiences. And the first book that I wrote was uh, The Trouble with Off-Campus Housing, which took place, I mean, I pretty much just said it at my college. And then a couple years later, I wrote Adorkable, which also took place at that same school. And the Bluegrass Boys just kind of sprouted out of that. And it's uh, a lot of jock, geek, country boy, romance, all of the fun tropes for romance, of course, that pop in in and out of the books, but I really like to explore that discovering your identity in college, right? And how that can alter and change you, your perception of the other people around you, you know, how that helps you grow into the person that you become. And in the eighties for me, well, eighties and early nineties, I came out of the closet in college and pretty much every person that I knew that wound up being LGBT came out of the closet in college. And I started thinking about watching them grow and how they all, you know, we all changed and became bloomed into someone new. And so that's kind of the impetus of why I started writing Bluegrass Boys. And then it really is just a lot of fun, sweet romance coming out of the closet and discovering that first love. The last book in the Bluegrass Boy series was a serial that I wrote for my newsletter in 2021. And the last installment came out beginning of December, and I put it all together. Of course, I wound up adding about 10,000 words to it. I discovered when I write a serial, I go back and look at it after doing it for really the first time. I went back and I was like, oh, wow, I really did kind of skip two chapters here. You know, like there's something <laughs> now that I know the full arc of the story, I, I, I want to go back and kind of rework lots and lots of big pieces of it. But this is the first book in the series that actually doesn't take place at the college. It happens over summer break. And yeah, and it's really, really high heat. All the Bluegrass Boys books are are, are pretty steamy, which is not always normal for me. But yes. Yeah. <laughs>
0: And then there's the fifth book in your drag queen detective series. What can you tell us about Victor and Harper dealing with a killer on a cruise ship? Of course, without giving away too many spoilers
2: either. I love these characters so much. So they're gay, cozy mysteries. There is of course, a romance element that, you know, flows through the entire series, but it is murder she wrote with drag queens. The fifth book is a a lot of fun. It really gets back into Victor had a little bit of a breakdown, identity crisis breakdown in the fourth book, which for a cozy mystery, I think was a little bit darker than normal. But I really felt like that's where the character had to go. And then this is kind of the, the deep breath that comes after that as they try to escape and go on vacation. And of course, someone just has to die. As is always the way it happens with, with Victor, no matter where he goes, a dead body seems to follow him now. I did a lot of research about cruise ships. It's like the wild West. Like there's no marshals. There's no, it's just security, you know, the hired security that is there. And once you get so far off of port, like there's no one to investigate the crime but the captain has, he really is the law on the water, right? So the cruise could go on. He has Harper, who is actually a sheriff of a small town, investigate. And of course he investigates with Victor, who is also hidden romance novelist, Vicki Dean in drag form, of course. I've had so many people, you know, tell me how much they really enjoy the character. I mean, Victor's his three identities that he possesses that kind of make up his whole, I just find that so fascinating, you know, how you can borrow the strength from one or the the backbone from another or, or the clinical brain of somebody that you've created in your head. And then, you know, bring that into who you are. It's just, I don't know, identity's always been, it, it's always fascinated me. So being able to really write a series, a cozy mystery series, which really has this underlying thing about identities and and how they control us or cause problems for us. Kind of underneath it all has been lots of fun.
0: Tell us something that you've read
2: recently that you
0: would recommend to our listeners.
2: So I'm behind uh, a lot. I just read Fluke by Sam Burns for the first time and I'm obsessed with it actually getting ready to dive into book two, but I just finished it like four or five days ago the new Only James series. I think book five is coming out recently. I'm not behind on that. <laughs> it's amazing. And uh yeah, and I have I actually got some some paperbacks in recently from books that I really just kind of loved and and uh wanted to have a physical copy of. I don't know about you. I I'm not a I'm really not a Kindle reader. I have a Kindle unlimited subscription. I do I do try to read a lot on there but I wind up buying the book, you know, pretty much anyway. At this point in time, <laughs> just I've got to have the paperback. I'm yeah. a paperback if, person.
0: If we love the book, we have to have it on our shelves. We are yeah. we're book pack rats, to oh, be honest. Yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up next for you later in this year? I have a few exciting things. I think I, I won't say who, but i I have my first co-write that we're working on right now. And I'm very excited by that. She's one of my favorites and has become a really one of my best friends too. So I'm very happy that we're doing it together. I am working on more drag queen detective books and then spinning the side characters. Vicky, Victor has a group of friends. There's really six people throughout the books that come in and help him at different times. And one is a character that I've written She's been in three other books that's not that weren't drag queen detective books, but were still kind of drag queen detective books. <laughs> Just not this drag queen detective book. And I'm spinning her off into her own PI series set here in West Hollywood. And then Victor's best friend, Corey, I'm excited to spin him and his boyfriend off into their own little side adventures. I have big plans for him. So, and nice. so many people want his book. So I'm going to do it. We'll We'll see how it goes, if it becomes a series or is just a one-off, you know. And I have my first real paranormal series coming out. Pre-order is not up, but it will be coming out end of April called The Dark Half, which is a, a two-book series. And the second book will come out in, in June.
0: Fantastic. Lots of good stuff to look forward to. How can everybody keep up with you online to know when all this stuff is coming out, pre-orders going up and all that stuff?
2: The best place is, of course, my Facebook readers group which is called Shane's Sweet and Salty Readers and my website, ShaneKMorton.com. It's always a little behind on the updating, (laughs) but it does get updated eventually.
0: Well, Shane, thank you so much for spending a little bit of time with us and we wish you all the success with The Boy Is Mine and everything else you've got going on.
2: Thank you, Jeff. I appreciate it. It's been fun being here.
3: Hi, everybody. I'm Misky Harris. I'm a contemporary gay romance, gay fiction, and paranormal author. You've
0: got this brand new entry in the All-American Boy series with Boy Overboard. Tell us about this book.
3: The series was brought to me by my PA. I I call Tammy my keeper because I get a little OCD at times, and I'm everywhere all at once and accomplishing nothing. Uh, she brought this to me. I'd done a couple of anthologies, and so she thought that I would enjoy this. I didn't, I didn't. I'm a pantser. I write a basic plot, but then I let my characters tell the story, and that takes a little more time. But I was really intrigued by this idea, and I really did want to do a same-world series. And it was amazing where I actually have a gay male friend who lives there and I could get my mandatory research in. I like to write stories that have an element of redemption. I'm seeing that as a pattern in my writing. I like for the the, the little guy to win. And one of the things I noticed when I came into this business was that All the men on the covers were blonde-haired, blue-eyed, and you know, robust chested and so forth. So my books are interracial and sponsor men of color. Anyway, I have a strong heart for people who have been insulted, abused, or otherwise misused because they're male and gay. I'm not saying it doesn't happen to women, but you write what you know. And my biggest exposure to this started when I was in the military. So I've stuck along those lines. Rico is a millennial and the millennial theme song is graduate college, buy a million dollar house, an expensive foreign car and run the world reality of that, not so much. And so, you know, millennials become kind of a cuss word. Oh, you know, he's a millennial. So I substituted the word brat. That's what Rico is. He's a 25-year-old millennial brat, but he also has an overbearing father. It's not that his parents don't love him and they know he's gay, But somewhere in his father's heart, this is all something that he needs to outgrow. So in Rebellion, Rico takes off and heads out into the world. Because of circumstances, he winds up in this little town called Stony Brook. And if you can imagine a rich kid with suddenly no money, In a one-horse town.
0: (laughs) It takes some adjustment.
3: Oh. (laughs) My second main character is Braxton. And by contrast, Braxton's 30. He's had to work for everything. Unlike Rico, nothing was given to him. And he's now the successful owner of a fine dining restaurant in Stony Brook. There are a couple of places in Stony Brook that are such that people vacation there just for these experiences. And Les Maisons Boulayas is one of those experiences. I like enemies to lovers because it doesn't mean that they have to be two guys who were in a fistfight. They can just be two men with different ideologies. So I I tend to buck the grain of the typical M.M. story. But if I don't, why read Miski's book? And in this series, there are nine other authors that you can read. So I am hoping, actually, I'm sure, because I've conversed with a couple of them, that I gave the series a different approach.
0: Yeah, there's definitely a couple of authors. I think you're one of them. I think Elle Keaton is one of them with how Mm -hmm. she did the age gap. And it's nice to see the different approaches because then there's a little something for everybody in the series.
3: And, you know, the thing is, is that mine isn't as much of an age gap as it is a level of maturity because five years isn't a lot. You know, Rico's 25 and Braxton is 30. But speaking of Elle, I've I've got to give her props because as I was struggling with the geography of this world, I needed some things and I contacted Elle and she just about poured the manuscript out to me, which when you're busy writing your own story, to stop and take time with another author. So our characters interact. She has a young sommelier intern named Ben. And Ben and Rico become friends. Rico winds up staying at the Stony Brook Inn, which is Elle's creation. So our stories actually have some intertwining in that way. And I'll forever be grateful to her for that. So in Boy Overboard, you'll actually see a reaction to Ben's story.
0: I love that when that happens in shared universes, how the characters cross between the books and, and everything. And I really love the setup here where everybody's in the same town. You've also got the Tall Ship Festival. How does that play into your story?
3: It's actually the catalyst for a lot of Rico's growth. Because of the festival, the the local merchants have to create sort of a vendor area so that people who are just there for the festival aren't tearing up the town. Braxton, at the same time, uses that opportunity to build an extension of his restaurant. So there's opportunities for Rico to grow into the town because of the festival and make friends and become part, not just the festival itself, but the heartbeat of the town. At one point, something about Rico becomes very common knowledge and Ben says, (laughs) welcome to Stony Brook.
0: Because that is a small town. You don't get to keep any secrets.
3: There are no secrets (laughs) there, you know? And and that's one of the things that he struggles with. Like, you know, something about him will be all over town before he's had breakfast. And, you know, he's like, how? Why? He he does ask that a lot. But I enjoyed writing it.
0: What was your favorite scene to write?
3: Ooh, I have a couple. But there's the the one scene that I actually posted on Facebook that I actually cried through was my favorite, but that's also I can't tell that one because it, it's sort of a point of the story and it'll ruin it for everybody.
0: Yeah. We definitely don't um, want spoilers. So when readers get to the scene where they're gonna cry, they'll know that's the one.
3: <laughs> yes. However, one of my other favorite scenes I have two of them. One is the the very beginning. It's it's emotional because it shows that everybody isn't cool with who Rico is in the world. It's Rico's first lesson in you know all bears aren't cute and cuddly. You know all cookies don't have sugar. That you know all those things that your parents always tell you. So. That's his first lesson in just because Jeff likes you doesn't mean that all men who wear black frame glasses are gonna like you. <laughs> I think one of the more intense scenes is the first sort of erotic scene between Rico and Braxton. Braxton calls Rico a brat a lot. And Braxton's kinky. I will I'll allow that out. But he's not a dom, you know, and So I tried to address some things that I think people don't know. There's a difference between wanting a little spice in your life and being a full-out member of the BDSM community. And while I enjoy reading a good BDSM book, I don't know that I could ever write one. But I can put a little flavor in, in the bedroom. So Rico is one of those people that... Every time you hear him open his mouth, you you just want to slap him. In Braxton's case, he just wants to spank him. So my favorite scene is the, the actual spanking. Rico learns a lot about the difference between looking something up on Google and experiencing it. And so, you know, Rico is like, he what? But wait a minute. Isn't he supposed to? But is he really? <laughs> so that was my, my favorite. scene.
0: We have to talk about your book from the end of last year, Cruz. Tell us a little bit about the 10 days that Armando and Lyndon have at sea.
3: <laughs> Armando is a gay man in a ultra religious family. His wife is actually considers herself asexual, aromantic. They were best friends growing up. And to get their parents out of their hair, they got married. They had a son, Michael, by artificial insemination. I caught a lot of heat for that. But you know what? Unless you've lived that fiscal level of life, you have no idea what people who do not have immediate access to money will will do to achieve a dream. And so... For everybody listening, please stop telling me that they couldn't do this because everything I do is research and people have, and this couple did. Anyway, Marta dies and she's been sending Armando on these gay cruises every year as giving him a kitchen pass to go be who he really is for hiding her secret. I never do discuss what Marta does because she's deceased. As you can tell, there's a pattern there. I like tugging heartstrings right off the top. So the book starts with her funeral. Lyndon, on the other hand, is a uber-busy architect and author. You know, he's he's that over-focused young man who has come out of a seriously bad relationship. the The cruise that they're on is a real cruise. If you Googled 2,000 gay men on a cruise, that's an actual cruise, and left Rome on my birthday. And I literally followed that itinerary. I Googled photographs and tour information. And so they did all this stuff. They swam the caves. Lyndon, being an architect, sketched out the beautiful grottos in Greece. Oh my God, I want to see them myself. And as they did this, their relationship developed. They went to Pompeii and and walked through those ruins. There's a stalker involved. And that's all I'll say about that. They have a friend of Armando's named Danny, who can be a little bit of a cock blocker. Danny was such a pain in the ass, sometimes you just wanted to slap him. But remember what I said, I love redemption, and there's a reason behind Danny. But that's not where the story ends. They get home. Armando has a face-off with his family, and Lyndon has a face-off with his ass That really could have gone badly, but Lyndon's got a gun-toting mama. <laughs> See um, now, I
0: just want to read this book all the more. It's gonna to have to be like <laughs> my TBR because you've given me so much more here than the blurb even has.
3: Well, John Solo, who narrated my first two books, he forced that out at GRL. So I was glad the book was out. Oh, uh, because he he John said, Well, I understand there's a mama that'll cut a bitch. And I said, Nah, but she'll shoot so. a <laughs> mother.
0: I love John.
3: <laughs> John is amazing. He really is. And he was one of the first people to, to encourage me, you know, that what he really enjoyed was that I actually write romance and fiction and not erotica. He, he called it a bold move. Hmm. But, you know, I'm 70. I can do whatever the hell I want these yeah, days. Yes, you can. <laughs> And I have the good fortune of not having to write for the rent. So,
0: spinning to something else, what is something that you've read recently that you would want our listeners to have a read at?
3: Actually, Will has a new book coming out. It's called The Return. It's paranormal, and it's just right up my alley. Yeah, you Parker know?
0: Williams, right?
3: Yes, and the book releases on the day that we do this podcast, so the, the 14th of April. So happy birthday, Parker. I love you. He's another person who writes contemporary with an edge, and he, he's one of those you-can't-put-it-down authors. And I believe that if if people pick up the return, that's what's going to happen. I mean, seriously, I'm doing the final edits on Boy Overboard, and. Every night, (laughs) when I put that to bed, I I was in my copy, (laughs) reading myself to sleep. That's all I can say because, again, this is release day. You know, the blurb speaks for itself.
0: That's awesome to give a little release day love to Parker. And what's coming up next for you now that Boy Overboard's out? What more do we have to look forward to this year?
3: Well, first, I'm going to drink a lot of wine. (laughs) (laughs) i've got a couple of book signings coming up the end of this month i'm actually doing authors and dancers against cancer in ohio and romanticon in july but in the meantime my next book is damage controlled it's been on the back burner for a while it's book three and don't ask don't tell but there are two young men in my prior stories one is teddy who. Everybody falls in love with. Teddy's a social worker who's also a drag. And the other is a young veteran who was in collateral damage. And because of the way the VA rates you, which isn't necessarily in line with the rating you got from the military when you're discharged, he has some PTSD issues. But his biggest issue is seizures, and that doesn't qualify him to receive a support animal, 100 paid for. The military uses dogs, and almost every one of my stories has a an animal of some kind in it. I I love animals. This particular dog is a Portuguese water dog named River. So, as in the romance, I'm going to bring. Petty, and I've tentatively named him David together, but it's primarily going to be my airman's story of, again, rebirth, rebuilding, and redemption, because that's what the Don't Ask, Don't Tell series is about, coming out of the military damaged and being able to rebuild yourself, rebuild your life, and find love.
0: Exciting that you're getting to continue that series.
3: Yeah. Something
0: to look forward to there. How can people keep up with you online? And, you know, most importantly to know when damage control is going to be able to come out.
3: I'm on Facebook. I I have a group, Miski's Mischief Makers. I keep it simple. My Facebook pages, personal pages, just Misky Harris. Same for Instagram and Twitter, which Tammy keeps up. I do have a webpage and it's www.miskiharris.com. I keep it simple. Uh, there, you can sign up for my newsletter, which is really the primary place that I put everything.
0: We will link to all of that in our show notes, along with all the books that we talked about. Misky, thank you so much for coming to talk to us about Boy Overboard.
3: Thank you.
4: I'm Al Keaton, and I write MM Romantic Suspense and Contemporary MM Romance. For the and
0: most. you're you're one of the many books arriving this month in the All American Boy series, and you've played with the titling a little bit here with the title of Not a Boy. Tell us about this story.
4: Well, Not a Boy is kind of what I call—I don't know—I guess it's age gap positive. The younger character is a little more confident, maybe than some you know we've seen or not you know some of the other kind of like subgenres out there. He knows what he wants. He's you know, he's he's going for it. And the the other character, he's, he's a definitely professional person, but he's had a little less luck in the love department and is kind of jaded and stuff. I want to say the tropes are, like I said, age gap positive, sort of opposites attract just in age and profession. Son of the groom a bit comes in instead of father of the bride, son, son of the groom.
0: Well, I am curious, like, what was your inspiration for the story of Henry and Ben? Okay. That's a very good question.
4: (laughs) I knew when Sierra and I talked that I wanted to use some spare characters from my Piedras Island series. I have two series that are on this island off Washington State, partly because I knew them better. And when I write, I find novellas, they're very challenging because you you have a certain amount of space and you have to be able to fit in a good, solid story. I just feel like I needed to know my characters and I already knew those two characters fairly well. So I was like, okay, it's going to be age gap. That's where I started. I had actually just met Henry. He appears in real danger. And I was like, oh, I really like him, but what can I do with him? How can I make, you know, give him a story? And then I was looking around for cover because I couldn't find anything I liked. And I found this one through Christopher John for not a boy. And it was so perfect. And I realized right then that that's how I wanted the dynamic, this confident younger guy, you know, and he's not, not like an alpha guy. He's just a confident person who's had his own troubles in life, but has come out and on top and is, is moving through his life. So that's where, that's where the inspiration came from and
0: you could tell that the guy on your cover has a story. He's just got that look that he does. He's got a he story. He's got something to say.
4: He does. I I just love this cover so much. I'm I just I just adore it. it and yeah, he's definitely I mean, I hope I did it justice.
0: What was your favorite scene to write between Henry and Ben? If that's something you could tell us without giving away um, spoilers.
4: Ooh, that's such a good question. So I really had fun coming up with their first meeting the first time that they saw each other which is not going to give anything away because you all i mean the back of the book says that they kind of run into each other but but i wanted didn't want it to make this make it a kind of like wham bam thank you man meet up i wanted it to be more like oh they tried a little bit to get to know each other <laughs> uh so so that was fun. And I had fun kind of their back and forth banter with that. Another scene I really enjoyed writing was later in the book at, at the wedding. And I think readers will know that one. It's not between them though. It's between Henry and another character, but
0: I don't want to give too much away. No, we don't want spoilers. Yeah. <laughs> Tell us a little bit more about the series that this is connected to.
4: It's a shared world, but the only thing that we had to do Was as each individual author was, we had to somehow either mention or be in Stony Brook, Maine, where the tall ship fest. There's a and Stony Brook is not real, but there is a tall ship festival in Maine. So that's kind of everybody did it a little bit differently. We did kind of try and share some things that we made up, like I have an inn in mine and a a little shop that only appears very briefly, but but someone else you know i wrote it down on the spreadsheet that we shared and so there that'll show up in another book and i do know i know i don't want to give away the ending but i know that there's lots of mentions of pirates i looked through the real tall ship festival and they dress up they have like dress up like a pirate day and stuff so that's kind of how we did it i'm i'm do know personally a few of the authors so i was able to kind of like you know pick their brains a little bit when they were writing but i i think it's going to be fun i i I don't know everybody's story, so I'm I'm exci- just as excited for you as you to read them.
0: That's always what's exciting when you've got these shared universes like All-American Boy where like see how they connect and then how they're separated and how everybody kind of plays with what's going on in there. How many parameters did you get to create your story other than you were kind of setting in the same spot?
4: Well, none none really. I think there's all different, all different you know, MM, but all genres could be there and, you know, could be represented. Really this tall ship festival mentioning it's the most important thing and novella length. So not really anything over like 45. I don't think any of them are over that. I think they're mostly right around 40 and mine's just around 32. So that was really it.
0: What kind of drew you into wanting to be part of this collection?
4: I've always wanted to write in like a a shared world. And, you know, I've Definitely kind of put my interest out there. Uh, Funny story is I did apply to be part of the one that Serena Bowen did a -hmm. while back.
0: Yeah, Vino and and Veritas.
4: Yeah. Okay. so So I don't watch TV. I do not watch TV. I swear to you. Hardly ever. And if I do, I'm watching a crime show. So I sent in my little thing and I spent a lot of time on it, which is fine. And then I was told no, which was also fine because I know a lot of people applied and I wasn't really concerned about that. But then like two months later, I was watching Shits Creek. And it's I basically wrote the same plot line as the one where he sneaks into the cabin. I mean, like it was scary. I'm looking at this <laughs> going, Oh my gosh, they think I didn't know or that they also I was I was horribly embarrassed, but also it was it was pure chance. So it was funny anyway. Anyway, so I was really excited to be able to be part of this, you know, the shared world. A lot of it is because, you know, we all, all of us come from different places in the, in the indie author writing world. And I love to be able to get my books out to other people who may just have looked at my books before and been like, oh, I don't think I want to read that. But now maybe because I brought in some of my characters and they'll they'll be drawn to my stuff. And maybe my readers who come in for Not A Boy will be like, oh my gosh, I really want to pick up this Casey Cassidy or this Layla Doreen. That's my part of it. It's like share the love.
0: Which is the great thing about shared universe. I know I've read my share of shared universe and all of a sudden it's like, you're moving along like, well, I don't know this author. Let me read it. It's like, oh, now I need more from this author because yeah, they're awesome. <laughs> now we do have to mention that just a week after Not A Boy comes out, You've got Real Risk coming out, which is the third book in the West Coast Forensic series. Yes. Tell us a little bit about that book and the West Coast Forensic series.
4: So let's see, let's start with about the series a little bit. So the series is a spin-off series of my three book, same couple series. It's called Veiled Intentions. And the two main characters in Real Trouble actually, first, we first meet them in my original series called shielded hearts. And I had never written their these, the these guys story. And I had people writing me about it and writing me about it, writing, but I'm sure, you know, as yourself, like sometimes it's just not the right time for that story. It just wasn't writing a three same couple series was very hard for me. I loved doing it, but it was, a, it was hard. Although I did learn how to write longer. And so that was something I definitely learned from doing that. So anyway, I was like, oh, I want to do more in this universe, but I don't want to keep writing. I love these guys, but I'm done with them. I'm tired of being in their pocket. So I was like, okay, it's time for Danny and Soren's story. And so that's how, that's how, and I brought them to um, the island and that's how it got started. And so Real Risk is, so is a character, one of the characters have been around both of them really but the the man on the front who's Devin, he's he's been in since the very beginning of veiled intentions you almost see him on the very first page i can't remember it's the first page but it's close uh, and he's a firefighter um the only paid firefighter on the island because most of these little places and, and for real only have volunteer firefighters so right? yeah. there's usually just one paid paid person so he's the firefighter and then of course, I have my West Coast forensics guys who, who I'm having to slowly move up to the island because I'm tired of flying them back and forth. And, <laughs> know, right? and so Kimball is the other character and he's in his late 50s. He was an ATF agent. He opened his own business with another character that we see off and on. And that's how they meet. Kimball comes up to the island to help investigate a series of fires. There's a lot of fire, a lot of fire on my island. So Don't the island down. After this I know. Right. <laughs> so that's how they meet. And they kind of dance around each other for a while. They're not necessarily looking for a relationship with each other for sure. Right. And so, so basically fires happening again, and it's arson, which is a really hard thing to investigate. Actually. I did a lot of my own research writing this book about arsonists, and the psychology behind arson, uh, the kind that's not for money, which is mostly what arson is. And even that is very hard to investigate and identify. That is how they meet and how they get together. And, it, and it's a longer story. It's a slow, slow, slow burn story just because of who they are and, and how the story played out. And I, I really had a fun writing it. These guys were, made me laugh a lot and it's like the suspense, right? So that's really not the point, but they did make me laugh. So,
0: Well, you need those tension breakers too, Yeah, in those yeah. suspense books, whether it's humor or just the moment where they get to, you know, have a moment to themselves or whatever that is. It's Right. To really get that, that, like the, the one that character.
4: <laughs> yeah. Like, so Devin, the character on the front, he's, he's more, I don't want to say laid back, but he definitely has a worldview that's just like, whatever happens, happens. and you know, I don't, he doesn't spend a lot of time worrying about uh, stuff. And then the other guy is like he's always dating inappropriate way too like, even not even just like years too young, but just, just emotionally too young of men. Right. And so that's a kind of a point in the, that's they, they get a lot of mileage out of that teasing back and forth and stuff. So that's fun. It is. it, It was really fun to write. I, I have a few more pages of edits to do, but I'm super excited. Almost ready. almost out the door. It's been sitting there for I don't know, a long time. Since October, I guess, is when oh, I started. Wow. Yeah.
0: Is there anything else you can tease us about what's coming next a little later in the year, once real risk gets out there and everything?
4: Uh, well, I have another shared universe book and I'm going to write a rock star book, which I have never done before. And I don't, I do have the cover image, but I can't show you. It's going to be in road to October. And that comes out in October. I believe it's a bodyguard romance, but it'll be fun. I'm super excited for it. And then in late September, I'll have real hazard, which is the one after real risk. So this is like, you heard it first. It's a gay for you, single dad, demisexual trope, and it's foster. So if anybody that knows my stuff, it's foster and then Dutch, who's who's a cook on the island and has this little girl named Hazel, which is kind of where I got Hazard from. But also there's other stuff that happens because there's always somebody, you know, something happens and I don't want to give it away, but that's who it's coming. And I'm really excited. I've been, I've had these two simmering since like, like, I look, I'm trying to think like mid-December, I came up with this and I'm like,
2: <gasps> but I have to write real risk
4: first. <laughs> I can't, I'm not very good about, I tend to be linear. So like, and even though it, part of it like does happen at the same time of real risk, I, my writer brain says, no, you, you have to do this first.
0: I'm very much the same. It's like one thing has to come after the other, and yes. the characters need to be quiet until I'm done over here.
4: Yeah, they, and I did, I had to just keep writing these little, like, okay, this idea, you know, words. I like a lot of descriptive words to help me kind of get my characters, keep them kind of, I like to have like three or f- five descriptor words. And I'm like, so I was coming up my, my words for my characters, but I couldn't go any further. So I'm really excited to get started on that.
0: We love to get recommendations here on the podcast. What's something that you've read recently that you would recommend to our listeners?
4: Well, let me tell you, I was on vacation last month for 11 blessed days out of my house and I binged all of Jackie North's Farthington ranch series. At that point, there were only four out and, or, and I believe that. Five came out at the very, my last day of my trip and six came out yesterday. So, I have not had time to read six yet, but they're really good. They're really good. There's a great sense of place, like the the actual ranch and the surroundings are character in the book. And I really enjoyed the different pairings. It was fun. That's
0: excellent. And how can people keep up with you online to find out, you know, everything about Not A Boy, about Real Risk and everything else coming up?
4: Well, I'm on Facebook as L. Keaton Writes, I believe. And I have a Facebook reader group if you're interested in that kind of thing. And it's L. Keaton's Highway to L. Very clever name. I also have a newsletter, which is you can go to my website, which is lkeaton.com, and there's a pop up. and, And once you're a member of my newsletter, there's tons of free reads you can download that are all on my website. You know, different like outtakes or shorts or even a couple old stories that I never pursued any further are there. So, and Goodreads and BookBub and all those places, I'm, I'm
0: definitely repped there. We will link to all of these things in our show notes cool. so people can easily find them. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us a little bit about Not A Boy and Real Risk.
4: Oh, thank you for having me.
0: This episode's transcript has been brought to
1: you by our community on Patreon. If you'd like to read the conversation for yourself, simply head on over to the show notes page for this episode at biggayfictionpodcast.com The show notes page has
0: links to everything that we've talked about in this episode. And thanks so much to Elle, Shane, and Miski for talking to us about their All-American Boy books. There's definitely something in this series for everybody. And with the novella length, it's a perfect way to spend perhaps a lot of time This spring and summer in Maine. Can't you just imagine this being like a series of films for like, I don't know, Hallmark Channel or Netflix if you want to go a little steamier with it. You could just come shoot in the small town setting for a few weeks and have nine amazing stories to just, it makes such a good movie series. I am here for it. All right, I think that's going to do it for this
1: episode. Coming up on Monday in episode 372, author Kosoko Jackson joins us to talk about his rom-com, I'm So Not Over You. And of course that book is
0: our spring big gay fiction book club selection. But in addition to talking about I'm So Not Over You, we're also going to find out about his recent young adult thriller, Survive the Dome.
1: On behalf of Jeff and myself, we want to thank you so much for listening, and we hope that you'll join us again soon for more discussions about the kind of stories that we all love, the Big Gay Fiction kind. Until then, keep turning those pages and keep reading. Big Gay Fiction Podcast is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more shows you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Production assistance by Tyson Greenan. Original theme music by Daryl Banner.